Thank you, Pastor Mark. Uh, boy, we're on end of July. And um, before I want to uh, go into the message, I want to share just one thing. Uh, one of the ministries that we started recently is the men's group, and we are so excited. And we've been gathering. Uh, we gathered so far uh, uh, four times, and uh, we gathered this past Friday, and we're averaging the numbers near 20. And uh, we talked about the first project a project that we want to do, again, as you hear me say this before, is that we want to uh, clean up the children room, and what used to be known as the communion room, now we're calling it a uh, children worship center. And so we want to create and make a worship center where children can come in, the, in mornings and worship God. You know, really exciting, jumping, and just really say, mom and dad, I want to go to church. You know, and so we want to create that kind of a, a atmosphere and a, a, a center for them. So we talked about first Saturday. I believe it's the, is the 7th or 6th. But, you know, it's the first Saturday of August. We'll be downstairs cleaning up the children's room. We're going to do some deep cleaning as well as create a new children's worship center. And then we're also going to clean up some, uh, the nursery. And we're going to do some deep cleaning around the house. I mean, we haven't really had a chance to do the spring cleaning yet. And so, again, we'll call it midsummer cleaning, all right? So I want to encourage all the men, all right, uh, giving you a heads up. It's, it's two weeks away. So please prepare that and come. And let's come together and work together and make this house more, even more beautiful because it's a beautiful house that God has given us. And we need to be good stewards. Amen? Amen. And so, wives, if you could work with me. And so encouraged the men and said, all right, I'll let you go this time, you know. It's family time, but this time you can go and, and just clean and, and paint and make God's church even more beautiful. And so uh, Brother Moses is going to kind of give us a list. What are some of the things that we could do? You all know this is a big building. And Brother Moses and, and Brother Keaton, they've been doing a fantastic job, but they need help. They need help. And, I, and you hear me say this all over and over again. It's about teamwork. I'm all about teamwork. So, having said that, I hope and pray that you all can join us and uh, have a great time working together. Men need to work together. And that's what we're, all right, so <clears throat> that's how we bond. But anyway, as I said, it's the last uh, Sunday of July. And we started a series four weeks ago called New Beginnings. And the Lord has been teaching us about, in order to have new beginnings, that, you know, we need to move forward, forgetting about what's behind us. And second, he talked about biblical principles of pruning, how God prunes us so that we will be even more fruitful. And then third, last week, we talked about the wise and the foolish builders. And we talked about how if we want to have continued new, build, uh, new beginnings, we need to be in the Word of God, and God teaches us Hey, not only just listen to the word, but really act upon it, follow up. Again, walk the talk. And today we're going to land this plane, and we're going to talk about get out of the boat. And perhaps some of you, if not all of you, heard this message before. And it's a popular text from Matthew chapter 14. But I hope and pray that you would have an open heart and open mind and, and, and see what God would teach you this morning. And I don't know about you, but... I need the Word of God. Amen? I need the Word of God this morning to refresh me, revive me, replenish me, because I got a long week ahead. And I'm sure all of you got a long week ahead of too. And so you need to be fully replenished 
and you need your spiritual gas tank all filled up so you can fire it up Monday morning, all right? And so uh, we're going to be challenged by about get out of the boat. But I want to also talk about get out of the boat. That's the first step. But what's more important is not so much of getting out of the boat, but once we get out of the boat, what do we do? How do we respond? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And then next month, next week, as you see in your bulletin in your uh, flyer, that we're going to talk about roadmap. You know, summer times, we go on vacations. We don't usually call it roadmap anymore. We call it Google, right? You go to Google, and then there's Google Map. But again, uh, there's four things that we're going to talk about is roadmap to godliness, to humility, to purity, and to faithfulness. And... Uh, and the last uh, August month is that we'll be having a joint worship with six other churches. That's exciting, you know, to come together and to worship God together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Having said that, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this message and anoint this time. Father, we thank you. What a powerful name. Jesus. When we really think about the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, created the heavens and the earth, and you said it is good. And because it is good, especially the heaven, you wanted to share that goodness. You wanted to create a creation that can share your goodness, and you created men and women to join you, to experience you in the kingdom that you have created, to have eternal fellowship with you. So, Father, thank you. And as the song reminded us this morning, you didn't want heaven without us. You want us to be with you in heaven. And so, God, you created a way through Jesus Christ that you reconciled us to yourself to be with you. And that is why we can say what a powerful name of Jesus. So we thank you. And, Lord, as we look into your text this morning, I pray, Lord God, that you would anoint it I pray, Lord God, that you would bring this word alive to us. I've heard many times when people said, the Bible is so boring. The word of God is it's just irrelevant to me. It's so impractical. It's so far-fetched. It's so narrow-minded. It's, it's fundamental, and it's just irrelevant today. But I pray, Lord God, that you will make it real. You will make the word of God alive today. And that you will speak to us in a personal, intimate way. That we could receive it and we could apply it. And we could say, yes, it is the word of God. And I love it. So give us a deeper desire to look into your word. So teach us this morning. Father, I pray 
that now may the meditation of my heart and the words that are spoken in my mouth may be pleasing to thy sight. In the holy name of Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hallelujah. Are you ready to hear the word of God? Amen. amen, amen. Some of you know that I like to play golf. All right? And initially, if you saw this stick that I'm holding around, I'm like, is he going to beat someone? <laughs> Especially in Uptown, I need this kind of protection. All right? But anyway, this game of golf is an is, interesting game. And it takes hand and eye coordination. And the object of this game of golf is you have this golf club, and it's got different, different levels. It's got like three to nine. So this is a, a, a gap wedge, and it's, it's called, uh, you hit about 100, about 100 yards. And what do you hit? You hit this little ball. Some of you may say, all right. And so you hit this little ball. But the object of this game is this, is that, don't worry, Pastor Mark, I'm not going to hit it. <laughs> All right? The point of the game is this. You got this club, and you put it behind it, and you stand so much, you know, you kind of stand in a comfortable position. You put two hands to it, and you're ready to swing. But the object of it, again, is that you keep your eyes on the ball, okay? Never take your eyes off of the ball. Because if you take your eyes off the ball, and the, the mistake that amateurs make, including myself, is that when you're looking at the ball, and when you start to do a back screen, you start maybe, you, you take your eyes off the ball, and then when you come down, what happens? You don't hit the ball correctly because... You know, you took your eyes off the ball. So when you take your eyes off the ball, what happens? You maybe you may hit in the side like this, or you may hit it on the ground first, and then, or you may hit the top of the ball, and the ball will just travel only a few yards, or you will hit it on the edge, and the ball will go to the right. It will not go to straight. Again, if you hit it right with this golf club, is a gap wedge. An average person, you could hit it 100 yards if you hit it correctly. The point is, keep your eyes on the ball. That's the point. And when you see the pros, it's all about reputation. They practice, 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 so that it becomes very natural for them. When they're, ready, when they're behind the ball, they're ready to strike the ball. And so when they are doing the back swing, again, when they're doing the back swing, normal people would look like this. But again, when they do the back swing, ready to hit the ball, their eyes are on the ball like this. Again, their eyes are on the ball. And after they come, as they come and then they swing the ball, their eyes are still on the ball. And then as they do a follow-up, if you see a slow motion, after they swing, their eyes are still on the ball. You see, follow-up, they're still on the ball. And after the ball is left, then did they look up and see where the ball went. That's the object of golf. And if you do that, then you strike the ball beautifully. And you see that ball just fly. And that's a good feeling when it just goes straight and it goes right to the pin. That's the object of golf. However, the mistake that we often make is that we take the eyes off the ball. And that's when the mistake happens. 
The ball goes left, right, off, it goes everywhere. And you end up chasing that ball into the forest, you know, the tree section. You end up chasing that ball going into the water. You end up chasing that ball going to the, what we call the beach. It's the sand. You know, they have a, uh, or the trap, all these places, it just doesn't go straight. The point they're making is this. But if the pros or the amateur like myself take off the ball, that's when mistake happens. In the same way, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, what happened? Mistakes happen. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, doubts happen and sin happens. Furthermore, when we lose focus in Jesus, we tend to focus on what? Something else. If we don't look at Jesus, we look at something else. If we don't focus on Jesus, we focus on something else. And that's when we get into trouble. I don't know about you, but I've been there many times. And that's why I need Jesus all the more. And that is why I need to keep my eyes and upon Jesus all the more. Because when I take off my eyes off of Jesus, then things happen. Are you with me? You all been there? Amen? So this morning, as we look into the teaching of Jesus in the book of Matthews, Matthews is the first gospel, right? There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the first book is Matthew. And let me give you a little history of Matthew, just real quick. Matthew was written, he's a Jewish, uh, what it was, Jewish tax collector, right? And so he's writing to the, not necessarily to the Gentile audience, but he's writing it to the Jewish audience. So when you look at the difference between Mark, Luke, and John, Mark and Luke and John, they're more a little more detailed, more specific. But whereas when you look at Matthew, it's very general because he, he's given the fact that his audience, uh, Jewish, already knows the context. So if you notice the difference between Luke and, uh, and Matthew, Luke is a little more specific and detailed, whereas Matthew is more general. But we're going to break that out. So again, this morning, Jesus, uh, in, again, Matthew records in Jesus, and that's what we would, we would look into, Matthew chapter 14. But as we look into this morning's text, Matthew 14, there are two things that we will discover this morning. The first thing that we will discover is obedience to his calling. Second thing that we're going to discover is that keeping our eyes on Jesus and not allow our surroundings or circumstance weaken our faith. So turn with me to our morning's text, Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. You can look behind me, and if you have your Bibles, please have it laid out in front of you. If you have the, word, the Bible like this, open it up. If you have your electronic Bibles, open it up as well. But I want you at this point, put your finger on verse 22, and I want to give you the context of this chapter, okay? Jesus has finished finishing what? What did he just finish? Little test, people, of chapter 14. What is it known? He fed what? 5,000 men. Not 5,000 people, but 5,000 men. But the Bible tells us, or the scholars tells us, it's more than 5,000 because it, they did not include the children and the ladies. So if you include the children and the ladies, it's more than what? 10,000 people. But the Bible only covered, only talked about the 5,000 men. 
But here, people experience the supernatural of Jesus, of Christ, because he churned five loaves of bread and two fish to feed more than 10,000 people. And only Jesus can do that. Amen? Amen. Now, if I was there, I'll be like blown away. And these people, 10,000 people, were blown away too because they knew there was only five, lo- five loaves of bread and only two fish. And where did they get the two fish and five loaves of bread? A kid. Kid had it. Right? So in John, but in John, again, he's a little bit more detailed versus Matthew. John 6, he explains that the crowd was saying with one another after experiencing the power of being fed, this is the prophet that we all have been waiting for. And they wanted Jesus to what? Run the, he wanted to be a politician. They wanted him to run the politician and say, hey, represent us. In Rome, represent us as in the political er- arena. We want you to be the king so that what? You could continue to feed us daily. And you know, and they wanted to make him earthly king. Now, Jesus did not want any of his disciples to be influenced by this crowd. Because already Jesus' uh, disciples, they had their minds in earthly king as well. They wanted to, you know, create uh, 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 Jesus to be the king so that they could be the right-hand man of the king. And so Jesus did not want his disciples to get influenced or be distracted or to have the wrong perception of who Jesus really is. And so what does he do? Naturally, he sends the disciples away. Because he did not want it to be involved. And this is where we pick up in verse 22. Do you see the context here? So in verse 22, Matthew said this. Immediately Jesus made what? The Greek word, let me put a pause button here. The Greek word made is antenkazo, which means compel. Doing, says, doing so with urgency as a pressing necessity. So Jesus sent sense the urgency that he needed to send his disciples away so he told the disciples you need to get on the boat and you need to go to the other side because I don't want you to be distracted I don't want you to be lose focus on the purpose of why I'm here and not get involved with the crowd so Matthew continues the disciples okay get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, the question naturally arises is this. Why did Jesus Christ dismiss the crowd? Now, if it was me, if the crowd was like, hey, praise you, Jesus, and lifting him up and really just, you know, giving him the center of the tension and all that, if it was me, any of us would like to say, come on, give me some more, give me some more, right? We would love that attention. We would love that kind of like that, uh, you know, then they're like literally worshiping you. But Jesus said, no, I need to dismiss the crowd. Notice in verse 23, it says, after he dismissed the crowd, dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside. And why did he go on the mountainside? By himself. To pray. And if you have your Bibles, 
or your electronic thing, I want you to underline that word. Pray. He dismissed the crowd. He went to the mountainside. side. He went to pray. Why? Because Jesus and the Father are one. You often, he said this, Father and I are one. We don't do anything apart from each other. We are totally in sync. Jesus was in sync with the Father. And he needed the Father regular time with him, daily devotion with him, so that he could continue that in sync to be in one. Daily to be connected so he would not be out of sync. He especially did this, he especially did this at this time because what? To seek wisdom and counsel. As Jesus was dealing with the crowd, he needed wisdom. He needed counsel because he himself can get influenced by the crowd. Have you been there? When you're a Christian and you're supposed to be the light, and sometimes when you're in a crowd in your workplace, sometimes when you're in a gathering of family or, or some kind of gathering, and you're the only Christian, and they are drinking and they're partying, and, and then even at your workplace, there is no moral, ethical behavior, and they just want to they, they cut through corners so they can make profit. And sometimes when you're in your workplaces or even your family, when there is no Christian community around you, what happens? You get influence. Don't we? And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that over 10,000 people were there. And he was the only one there. And so he said, I need to get away because I need to, to be with the Father. I need to dismiss myself from it. Regularly, he went to the Father in prayer. Jesus exemplified what we must do as we will discover later on what Peter should have done. Therefore, Jesus time with the Father went way overnight. Notice in the latter part of verse 23, Matthew said, later that night he was there alone. And some of us here in this room today, some of us need to just get away and spend time with the Father alone. And you need to do some business with God. Because God wants to tell you something, but yet you've been so busy running, like a, running around like a chicken without a head and said, I got so many things. But the Father said, you need to be with me alone so that you can be in sync with me. Jesus was with alone. Notice, Jesus did not rush his time with the Father. He spent the whole night with the Father. And this is a good reminder for us, as I talked about last week, that we have a tendency to rush our prayer time. We have a tendency to rush our reading of Scripture. And when we do so, the effects or the consequences can be fatal. Even when I stand behind the golf ball, 
when you send it beyond the Gulf of War, you have to be patient and you have to set yourself up correctly and so that you would pick time and so that you get that perfect posture so when you come down that you would hit that ball perfectly. But if I rush it, I go just behind the ball and there's no preparation and I just rush it and then the outcome is that the ball will go there, there, everywhere. So again, you see that the preparation is the key. And Jesus was doing that with the Father, taking his time, looking to him for advice, not advice, for counsel and guidance and wisdom. So he continues in verse 24, he tells us, Matthew tells us, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. Why? Because again, it took a long time. Middle of the lake, that's what the boat, ball, uh, excuse me, the boat was, the scholars was explained. But something happened. It was not a quiet evening. Matthew tells us, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, some scholars will say this, around 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. That was the time when Jesus was walking on the lake because that's how long it took that's how long that he spent time with prayer with, with the Father. Well over to the early in the morning. Now, considering it was early in the morning and the weather condition was not the best, along with the, they were exhausted because it was a long day, they were probably feeling some level of anxiety in the first place. You all been there. But what made it worse is that the disciples saw something walking on water. So can you imagine it's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And there's winds blowing. The waves are pounding. And then the disciples cannot sleep. They're, they're still awake. And they, they're tired. They're, they're exhausted. And they see something walking on lake. And what happened? They get freaked out. Right? I mean, it, just picture yourself. If you were there, you'd probably get freaked out too. Notice in verse 26, Matthew said this. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were what? Terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out to fear. Now, all of a sudden, the disciples were terrified because they saw something that was humanly impossible. Can you walk on water? I don't think so. I can't walk on water either, either. So it's humanly impossible. So it's, you can't really blame the disciples for being freaked out or being terrified or being afraid because it's, again, it's between 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Uh, and then there's winds are blowing, the waves are pounding, and then you see some, someone walking on water, you get freaked out too because that's humanly impossible. So you can't really blame them. But they did not realize that it was Jesus. Possibly, I mean, they, Jesus, Jesus in their mind, when he got to the boat, he probably said, have it not occurred to you that it could be me? You know, because you know my power. You know my ability. But none of them, none of them realized that it was Jesus. So notice in verse 27, he said, but Jesus immediately said to them, Knowing that they were terrified, knowing that they were afraid and scared, check this out. What does he say? Take courage. Take courage. 
It is I. Don't be afraid. You see, the thing about that I want you to know about my Jesus and your Jesus, the thing about Jesus is that his timing is perfect. Amen? Amen. It's never off. It's always perfect. Disciples needed to hear at that time, at that moment, they needed to hear that from Jesus that that is take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. It is beautiful how Matthew records this. And I say it is beautiful because it's a beautiful imagery of our Heavenly Father reaching down to us when we need to hear the words, take courage. Don't be afraid. It is I. I see. I want you to picture that image that our Heavenly Father reaching down to you and to me that when we need to hear those words, that he says this. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus takes our fears seriously. He doesn't take it lightly. When you are genuinely fearful, when you are genuinely going through some anxiety or some stress, Jesus does not take that lightly, but he, he really takes it seriously. In life, when the wind and waves is blowing hard against us, you heard of that saying before, when it rains, it pours. Have you been there? I know Pastor Mark has been there lately. When it rains, it pours. And I'm sure all of us have, have, have experienced that, if we are really being honest. And some of you are still experiencing that. Some of you, that is why you're here this morning, in to hear the word of God, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be, feel replenished, to be enlightened. Because you feel like, man, storms are coming. Storm is here. And I'm just exhausted. When the wind and the waves are blowing hard against us with difficult situations, life struggles, temptations, many sorrows, and decisions that we have to make that is crucial and important, and we don't know what to do. We may feel overwhelmed this morning and sometimes even feel terrified. But that's when Jesus comes to you and he says, take courage. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And he says, my, bro- my, my son, my daughter, it is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, Peter, hearing the word, voice of, of his Lord, Peter would be Peter. This is what he says. He responds so quickly. He says, so he says in verse 28, Lord, if it is you, Peter is really saying, since it's you, since it's you, Lord, tell me to come. To you on the water. Now, Peter's request was bold. 
He was saying, Jesus, you have trained us all these years and given the power to do the miracle you have been performing. This is my moment now. I see you. This is my opportunity. You are walking on water, and since it is you, I want you to invite me out of the water so I can float and I can walk on water just like you. This is my time. This is my moment. I want to demonstrate my supernatural power because you have given it to me as well. Jesus does not disagree with Peter, but says, you're right. You're right, Peter. I trained you for this. Now let's see what you can do. Let's see if you can walk the talk. All right? Are you with me? Let's see if you can walk the talk. Let's see if you could really walk on water like me. Let's see if you have the faith to walk on water like me. And so Jesus says this in verse 29. Come. Spanish is penaka. Or in Korean, I'll teach you one Korean word. Ilua. Say ilua. Now you know Korean, all right? One of the brothers got to teach me how to say that in Nigerian. Yeah. You can teach me that later, okay? Come. So Jesus says this. Come. Toward. Come. Come. He said come. So Jesus invites Peter to get out of the boat, join him in his, what he's doing. So then Peter gets out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Peter responded in obedience to the call, come. And the result was phenomenal. What happens? Peter responded to the, uh, the obedience to the call. So what he was doing? He was walking on water. Amen? But with our obedience, catch this, we must keep our eyes on what? Jesus. And not get distracted by our surroundings. That's what happened to Peter. He was walking on water. He saw the winds coming. He saw the waves pounding. He looked at the, he took off his eyes of Jesus and he looked at the winds and the, and the storms that he was facing and what happens? He got distracted. And look what happens in verse 30. But when he saw the wind, Peter did something he should not have done. Took his eyes off the ball. Took his eyes off of Jesus. And what happened? Matthew tells us fear. You see, whenever you take your eyes off Jesus, fear comes in. Amen? And when fear comes in, what happens? He began to sink. Peter was talking a great game. Peter was talking a great game, but he didn't want. He did not follow up. He did not walk the talk. He sank. And what does he say? He's, he, and he cried out. He says, Lord, save me. Peter's outlook changed when he saw the storm and he began to sink. It was not that Peter lost faith. I want you to understand this. It is not that Peter lost faith, but when he took his eyes off of Jesus, 
His fear of the storm overshadowed his faith. You see? When fear enters into your life, when doubt enters into your life, it is not that you lose your faith. It is not that your faith is, just go, is gone somewhere, but your fear, your doubt has overshadowed it, overpowered it, you see. My dear brothers and sisters, what about us? Jesus is always in front of us. But work, busy schedule, and the world, and even relationships that is not healthy, can easily pull us away from Jesus and it, could be, and it could become a distraction. But here's an important question for us. What's the lesson we can learn from this story? What is Jesus Christ teaching us through the story of Peter? You see, when we ask God for something through prayer or simple conversation with him, he will invite us to come and join him to experience his power. And in faith, when we obey and get out of our own boat or our own little comfort zone, we may not walk on water like Peter did, but we will experience God's supernatural power in our own personal way. We learn from Peter that obedience is not just one-time shot, but it is a, our obedience comes with a deep commitment to keep our eyes and not look at the right or left, but straight at Jesus and focus on him. Amen? The farmers, when they plow their field, they have a workhorse. And they, they tie the horse, and then they, they have this, you know, uh, uh, plow on the nib, and then the horse pulls. And then the, the farmers plow. And the, they follow the, the uh, straight line. When you notice the workhorse, they have blinders on their eyes like this, right? So that they will not look to the left, you know, so that their eyes will not be distracted, left or right. But their focus is on straight ahead so that they could draw a straight plow. That's what the workhorse has, focusing what is ahead. And we've been talking about that. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, in the Old Testament, verses 32 and 33, Jesus says this. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you. And here's a promise of the Lord if you walk in obedience. He says, so that, in other words, therefore, you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. You see? And Peter, he failed to do so. He got distracted. He looked to the right. He looked to the left. He looked to the right. And then he saw the storms and wind. And then that's when fear came in. And that's when he started to sink. And that's when, like, and he cried like a crybaby. He said, Lord, save me. Now, Jesus, hearing Peter's cry for help, he responded. Notice in verse 31, if you turn to the next slide. Jesus said, Matthew said this, 31. 
immediately, immediately Jesus reached out. Now, Jesus has a bigger heart than I do. Now, if I was Jesus and Peter disobeyed me like that, I would let Peter swallow some water. Let him struggle in the water for a bit. You don't deserve to be saved right away. But Jesus is not me. Jesus is compassionate, full of mercy. He didn't want Peter to swallow water. So as soon as Peter was shouting for help, what happens? He reached out and pulled him up. You see, that's the kind of God that we have. Amen? Knowing that, how can we not get excited? Amen? I mean, we have a God who is merciful, and he will act immediately. He will not take his sweet old time, but he will respond immediately. You know, I remember when, when Rachel, when she was trying to teach her how to ride her bicycle, and immediately she falls, and then ji would sprint like she's an Olympic athlete. Go there and pick her up. And I said, man, I never knew you could run that fast. But it's all about because of her child, you see. Heaven said that how much more our Heavenly Father, we are His children. When we fall, when we go through difficult struggles, when we go through trials and tribulations, how much more? And the, and the one of the authors said, again, and the Bible teaches it through the prodigal son, right? The only time that God ran when He saw the prodigal son or prodigal son is in trouble and coming back. You see? That's the only time when God runs. That's how much He loves you. And Jesus said to Peter, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And I could see, and I could, when I read this text or that word, when he says, you have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? I could hear the Lord's heart. And that he, in a way that he was sad. That Jesus is right in front of him. Jesus is right in front of him, and yet he doubted. If, can you, can you, I want you to look at that. I want you to look at that. I want you to see the, the, the Lord's words and, and, and see the, the Lord of the heart of Jesus saying that, why did you doubt? Again, the Lord is saddened by Peter's action and, the, uh, and, and, and his doubt. Jesus did not say you did not have faith, but you have what? Little faith. He was saying to Peter, your faith became little because you look at the storm more than you looked at me. He was saying, whenever you turn away from me, you give birth to doubt. In the Greek word, doubt is vitenzo, meaning two, double-minded, going two ways, shifting between positions. So what Jesus was saying that, Peter, you're shifting your position. You got your left foot in the earthly, earthly realm, and you got your right foot in your heavenly realm. You cannot be having both. You not, can't have the shifting position, whether you're all in or all out. 
And that's what discipleship is all about. And that's what God is calling us as true disciples. Are you all in or are you all out? There is no middle ground. There's too many people that professing Christians that are in the middle ground and they're not, whether they're, they're, all, they're not all in. And as a result, they give harm to the name of Jesus. They give harm to the name of the church. I'm getting a little passionate about that because I see that too many times. And that's what Jesus was saying. You cannot shift your positions. Jesus is telling Peter, your mind is divided. You are shifting positions. You need to have stronger faith that is single-minded. Focus on me. And that's what Jesus was saying to Peter. After Jesus said, Peter, climb into the boat, something amazing happened. And only Jesus can do this. Look what happens in verse 32. Matthew said, and when they climb into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat, what happened? Worshipped. Worshipped him. Saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You see, the climax of the story is not that Jesus calmed the storm. The climate of the story is the disciples worshipped God. And they proclaim who Jesus is. And my dear brothers and sisters, that as we're gathered here this morning, the question that I have asked is asking all of us is that, are we worshiping God this morning? Are we proclaiming Jesus Christ? What a powerful name he is. You know? Amen? Loved ones, after you experience the work of Christ in your life, naturally what comes next is to worship and proclaim who Jesus is. This week I experienced God in a personal way, G and I. And we couldn't stop by saying, thank you, Jesus. You know, thank you, Jesus. But sometimes people fail to do so. They experience God's power, they experience God's goodness, and they fail to thank Him. They fail to worship Him. Because if people truly worship Jesus and truly thank Jesus, then our sanctuary, then our seats will be filled. Amen? And in, in, in November, I'm going to talk about where there's ten leopards. And only one came back to thank Jesus. That's the reflection of man. If we had thankful hearts, worshipful spirits, then there'll be no room to sit down in the sanctuary. Amen? Do you hear me? Yeah. But we are here and we are worshiping the Lord today. Amen? Brothers and sisters, we are here to worship the Lord our God because His name is powerful and that we are here to proclaim His holy name. Amen? Hallelujah. Come on, church. You could do better than that. In closing, as we close our series of new beginnings, we learn from this story that when we have little faith during difficult moments, Jesus reaches down 
from heaven and provides a deeper faith. Amen? Amen. The touch of Jesus recreates, restores, and renews failing faith. Do you need to be restored this morning? Do you need to be renewed this morning? Do you need to be recreated this morning? Then you are in the right place. Amen? Amen. He has brought storms in our lives, and he will never abandon us. Our failure makes us to love Jesus even more because he always provides new faith, new beginning. May we always look to Jesus as our rock and our redeemer. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord God, that this word does not just come into the one side of the ear and out to the other. But I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to put into practice what we have heard. Put it, apply it in our lives in a meaningful way. So that we will be a wise builder. As we were reminded last week, Jesus said that if you want to be a wise builder and that your foundation is strong and solid. And that when the storms of life comes, you will, not, you will be unshakable. Because you heard the word of God and you put it into practice. So God, I pray that you would help us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.